A writer's unfinished work is pulled together to reveal the truths about racial relations. The book, I Am Not Your Negro, the author, James Baldwin. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Let's get lit. Hi, readers. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. I forgot what this was. Is it a book? Is it a podcast? What is it? What is it? Okay. Anyway, it's a podcast. It's got books and it's got drama. This week it's a movie. It's a documentary. A documentary. Okay. So there's no theme of the week today. So we'll jump right into Society Says and... That's where we share your comments with the rest of our Lit Society uh, readers. <laughs> Kari, is there a comment that you were able to pull from all of our platforms that, that you'd like to share with yeah. the rest of our Lit Society? This one is from Apple Podcasts and it comes from Deborah McCoy. Uh, this was after the Kindred episode she listened to, Kindred by Octavia Butler. She says, wow, thank you for an amazing conversation about this important book. You're welcome, Deborah. <laughs> right. Thank, <laughs> and thank you. you for listening. What about you, Alexis? Is there a comment from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, wherever that you'd like to share? Uh, I, I think this one is from Apple Podcasts and it says, new listener. Now I'm hooked. <laughs> they said, so glad I found y'all. Love the content. Guess what? They gave us three exclamation marks. So, you know, they're not lying. <laughs> Listen, (laughs) I read all these books and have no one to discuss them with. Listening to this podcast makes me feel like I'm talking books with my girlfriends. Keep it up, ladies. And that that's a comment I truly love because, of course, we're talking with our girlfriend Mm -hmm. and the rest of our listeners. So that is a community. And especially when you guys uh Give us feedback, comment on the a book you listen to, then it, it's really exciting, even more exciting and engaging. So yeah. thank you so much for that comment. Remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or we love it when you leave a review for us <laughs> on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we... Jump into our author and context. Kari, do you have anything you'd like to share with us about today's author? Yeah. So um, the author of this book, it's I will say that James Baldwin is the author. And indeed, on the um, the credits of the book, uh, the publisher has listed James Baldwin as the author. It was put together by director Raoul Peck. And in the beginning, it has here a great introduction to both men. It says, first, of course, James Baldwin, 1924 to 1987, was a novelist, essayist, playwright, poet, social critic, and the author of more than 20 books. His first novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, appeared in 1953 to excellent reviews. And his essay collections, Notes of a Native Son and The Fire Next Time, were bestsellers that made him an influential figure in the civil rights movement. Baldwin spent many years in France where he moved to escape the racism and homophobia of the United States. He died in 1987. 
And then Raoul Peck. Born in Haiti, he grew up in Congo, France, Germany, and the United States. His body of work includes the films The Man by the Shore, Lumumba, and Sometimes in April. He is currently chairman of the French National Film School and recently completed his next feature film, The Young Karl Marx. So those are the two men um, that produced the work we're covering this week. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that bit of information, Kari. No problem. Um, Alexis, having read the book and watched the documentary that it's connected to, who do you think would enjoy, I'll say first, reading this companion to the documentary? You know, I like the way you say that. It's a companion book to the documentary. And actually, I, I read the I read along in the documentary as I watched the documentary. I read it first yeah. and then I watched it with the and read it at the same time. I think mm-hmm. those are the words I'm trying to say. But <laughs> any event, anybody that um, wants to read about race relations in America, I think, especially during the time of the civil rights movement, I think that's important. And and this this um, pivotal time during the lives of Megar Evers, Mal, um, Malcolm X and Martin uh, Luther King. So anybody that wants to read about race relations will enjoy reading this book because it gives you um, insight into um, one reader, one writer's uh, mind about really some hard truths of mm-hmm. um, society. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I say that. What? Did, why did you choose this book, Ari? I chose this book because it's a perfect introduction to James Baldwin, who we've never actually covered on the show. Um, And so I think it gets our listeners acclimated to who he is. Um, It includes a lot of um, pieces from works he did not publish, some that he did. Um, So, yeah, that's why I chose it. We'll be reading more Baldwin this season. So this is the introduction. If you're not familiar with his works, I think this is a great way to meet him for the first time. Well, good. Why don't we take a short break and then come back and get into our deep dive? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Are you ready yeah. to take our spoiler-filled deep dive into the book, I Am Not Your Negro by James Baldwin? Sure I am. Now, Let's I just want to reiterate that this is a companion piece to, to the documentary. Alexis, if you watch the documentary, I know you have, but a listener at home, if they've watched the documentary, will they enjoy reading this book, you think? Do they need to read this book? What's your opinion? I like pages, um, words on a page. So mm-hmm. um, if you like words on a the page, then yes. Um, if you don't, you're not into reading, the book is, the documentary is fine because the same words that are in the book are on the screen in the documentary. Exactly. I agree. by him or um, Samuel L. Jackson. By Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Yeah. And then video also, which is, uh, um, you know, so... It's so amazing to see the people in this book speak for themselves. So, of course, the documentary provides that where there whereas there are just pictures in the book. But I'm going to first start by covering the book because that was how I 
was introduced to this work. I watched the documentary after reading the book. Um, I want to talk a bit about Raoul Peck um, and his relationship to James Baldwin. He never met Baldwin. However, Raoul felt like Baldwin was his author. Um, and can you relate to that? That feeling that an author is speaking directly to you, the way that they formulate words, it's almost as if they put they had you in mind while they were writing. No, I, when I read that section, I was like, oh, I wonder have I ever had that experience? And I can't say that I have. So um, mm -hmm. I'm going to keep looking for it now. I can think about <laughs> it as I read more Yeah, books. find your author. Yeah, find my <laughs> author. I want one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Raul talks about his um, Haitian um, ancestry, his ethnicity, and how the story of Haiti, the first nation to successfully fight and um, of course, win since it was successful against uh, Napoleon's army, the first black nation to do that. It's kind of wiped away in history. It's not talked about a lot because once you come to terms with the fact that these people are not savages, that they have their own mind, that they can be organized and that they can even defeat a Western a power of Western civilization, then the whole philosophy of uh, Western civilization and its inherent power comes falling apart. Um, so <clears throat> Rao was especially touched, or I should say Peck was especially touched um, by the text of James Baldwin because it spoke to this nagging in him, this um, after being gaslit by the West for so long, it kind of said to him, no, um, there, there are other people who relate to what you may feel and what you feel is valid because it's based on truth. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, again, Peck didn't, he never met Baldwin, but he worked with Baldwin, Baldwin's family, specifically uh, James Baldwin's sister to piece together uh, works that were published, not published, uh, private letters, even private conversations. And he made this piece that is unlike anything I've ever uh, digested. It is not a novel. It's not it's it's um it's nonfiction, but it's more. How could you describe this book and the documentary, Alexis? It's not telling a story necessarily, but it is right. Yeah, it flows. It, I, I think it flows like a story um, in that it has these sections where it introduces kind of what's about to happen. He talks about the letter he wrote. Well, the letter that he wrote to his editor, is it his editor, is in here. Uh, so that I believe is, so, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's in here. Jay. and Yeah. And then so after mm -hmm. that, he then starts, then there's pieces of the book are included. Mm -hmm. And the, what was the original book? Remember This House or A House to Remember? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for, for me and with the associated images, it feels like it's telling a story. Yeah, I like the way you put that. What Alexis is saying is that um, Baldwin was determined to expose the complex links and similarities between Medgar, Malcolm and Martin. And we'll explain who those men are. Um, he planned, James Baldwin planned to write about them. He was going to write his ultimate book. And that was to be titled Remember This House. Of course, James Baldwin passed away from cancer. Um, so who are these three men whose lives he really wanted to dive into? So first we have Medgar Evers. Uh, he was born in Mississippi, July 2nd, 1925. He served in the U.S. Army during World War II and participated in the Normandy landings 
June 1944. He had three children with his wife and grew into a civil rights activist and the NAACP's first field secretary in Mississippi. While fighting to end segregation and expand opportunities for Black Americans, Medgar Evers was assassinated under suspicious circumstances. He died uh, at 37 years old, June 12, 1963. Uh, And then Malcolm X. Now for a more detailed explanation of who Malcolm was and how he lived his life, I encourage you to listen to our episode that covers his autobiography. But real quick, uh, Malcolm X was born in Nebraska, May 19th, 1925. Uh, The death of his father and hospitalization of his mother led him into a series of foster homes and eventually prison. In prison, he discovered the Nation of Islam and became a minister. Upon release, he became a human rights activist and prominent voice of the civil rights movement. He was assassinated under suspicious circumstances. He died at 39 years of age, February 21st, 1965. And finally, we have Martin Luther King, who was born in Georgia, January 15th, 1929. The son of a Baptist pastor and civil rights movement figure, King followed in his parents' footsteps and advanced civil rights uh, via nonviolent civil disobedience. He led marches and boycotts for suffrage, labor rights, and desegregation. King won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality in 1964. He was assassinated under suspicious circumstances, and he died at 39 years of age, April 4th, 1968. None of these men lived to see 40 years of age. These were Baldwin's friends. Um, He fought alongside them for causes that they um, shared belief in. Um, And so let's talk about James Baldwin. I am not your Negro is, again, his his incomplete work that was completed later by Raoul Peck to the best of Peck's ability. Now, Peck is very forthcoming in that he can't go into James Baldwin's past and know exactly how Baldwin would have written his final work. And so he doesn't even try to. Um, Like Alexis said, this book is divided by themes and every theme, after every theme, there is a discussion relating to that overall theme. So the first theme of the book is I am not your Negro. Medgar, Malcolm and Martin were Baldwin's friends and he saw their fight as not just a fight of just one segment of America, but for the country as a whole. Let me read part um, one section. I'm going to read a few sections from this book because I really can't uh, paraphrase Baldwin's words. I rather just. No, that's an excellent idea. Just go ahead and read it right out. So (laughs) worth it. So this is in the Dick Cavett show. Um, Baldwin says, excuse me. um, He's asked. He's asked by the host, what are the Negroes? Why aren't they optimistic? And Baldwin says, I don't think there's much hope for it. You know, to tell the truth, as long as people are using this particular language, it's not a question of what happens to the Negro here or to the black man here. That's a very vivid question for me, you know. But the real question is, what is going to happen to this country? I have to repeat that. The second section of this book is titled Paying My Dues. Um, In it, Baldwin describes his life in Paris. He, as we stated in the beginning, um, fled to the streets of Paris and he only had like $40 in his pocket. But he knew um, in his in his mind, there was a belief that whatever happened to him there could not be worse than what he'd already experienced at home. Alexis, when you're traveling, what do you miss most about your homeland? You know, honestly, I I related to him. He said, I didn't miss nothing. 
<laughs> I didn't miss anything. And I yeah. don't. It's more individuals, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can come and see me. So <laughs> I or they can join me on my travels. But ultimately, no, it's not that I don't have an appreciation for the country in which I live because I do. I, I There are things um, like the ice cream shop down the street. I really <laughs> love it. OK, mm-hmm. but it's it's the people. It's people that make my life what it is. So how about that's you? that's what Baldwin said. I, I agree. I do miss um, the ties to my culture, the superficial ones and the deeper ones, um, <laughs> because you can make friends anywhere. Um, but the food that you uh, grew up appreciating, even the um, art, the television shows, I do miss that. I miss Black American people uh, when I travel for an extended it's just a culture um, extended period of time. And Baldwin said, you know, he didn't miss waffles. He didn't miss the ice cream shop. He I missed do. his mother. He missed his connection. <laughs> Alexis is like, no, I, I do miss the ice cream shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as he's watching um, schools be integrated and um, one black girl of 15 years old bravely walk into uh, class by herself. He felt ashamed. He was like, someone should have been there with her. And while everyone's doing their part, I'm here in Paris kind of avoiding um, paying my dues. And so he went back home for a time. Mm-hmm. Can I say I related to that? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I was in Portugal. I can say I really felt like I was in this hole of ignorant bliss. I'm not mm-hmm. watching TV to the level I watch TV when I'm here. Not that I watch it a lot, but I'm more attuned to what is going on there. Yeah. I am not connected. So I can truly appreciate what he is saying, but you're just watching it. You're hearing about it, but you, it's, you're you not in it. Yeah. And then he didn't feel honest speaking about the plight of Algerians or the black Americans while he's in Paris, you know, talking to other expatriates about your people didn't seem right. And that's how a bald one felt. Um, and then we have clips in the book and in the documentary of what the nation was going through during this period of time and what it was taking itself through. Uh, one of the standout moments for me in both the book and the documentary, but you know what, just for confusion, uh, to avoid confusion, I'm going to oh. just focus on the book okay. right now. Uh, but this quote is, of course, also in the book. It's a woman in the South, random woman. Do you remember what she says at the beginning of this section, <laughs> Alexis? It, is that the expression when she says God is OK with this and God is OK with that? There we go. She okay. says God forgives murder and he forgives adultery, but he is very angry and he actually curses all who do integrate. Uh, yeah. So these are okay. the words of a w- woman in the South of a a so-called Christian nation. Um, And so that really showed the hypocrisy in both the ideology and practices of Baldwin's home. Um, And then the next section we have here, um, it's titled Heroes. In this section on heroes, there's a famous quote by Baldwin, which is sometimes paraphrased, and I like to read it. Leaving aside all the physical facts, which one can quote, leaving aside rape or murder, leaving aside the bloody catalog of oppression, which we are in one way too familiar with already. What this does to the subjugated is to destroy his sense of reality. 
It comes as a great shock to discover the country, which is your birthplace and to which you owe your life and your identity has not in its whole system of reality evolved any place for you. And this is the part that many people uh, may remember. Uh, Baldwin says, this means in the case of the American Negro born in that glittering republic, and in the moment you are born, since you don't know any better, every stick and stone and every face is white. And since you have not seen a mirror, you suppose that you are too. It comes as a great shock around the age of five or six or seven to discover that Gary Cooper killing off the Indians when you were rooting for Gary Cooper, that the Indians were you. In this section, um, Baldwin's words piece together, gather the idea of what heroes are painted as um, in our, our culture uh, nationally. And he makes a, a real chilling statement that we took a massacre and made it a legend. So these really disgusting acts are held up, praised. Movies are made about them, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're made to be the ideal dream like you don't have to grow up you can be as ignorant as you want about the plights of other people because that actually too is a virtue um baldwin also said that apathy and ignorance are the price of segregation you don't know what's happening on the other side of the wall because you don't want to know and when you try to stand up and look the world in the face like you had a right to be here you have attacked the entire power structure of the western world Then we move on to witness. And as I'm going through these sections, Alexis, if there's any um, thing that you remember that you too want to bring out, just feel free to interrupt me. Okay. Um, But in witness, um, what stands out to me from this section uh, is Baldwin saying now he he's left Paris. Right. And he's going back at this point to help Medgar with his cause in Mississippi. Um, He says, Baldwin says the line which separates a witness from an actor is a very thin line indeed. Nevertheless, the line is real. My responsibility as a witness was to move as largely and as freely as possible to write the story and to get it out. Here, Baldwin is explaining how he felt conflicting emotions about being in Mississippi, knowing he didn't have to stay there and deal with everything that was going on at the time, um, but absolving kind of that that guilt. By remembering his job wasn't to be there and to live there every day, but to tell the story of the people that do. Um, So I thought that was very interesting. Again, I want to read a section from that. (laughs) And again, this um, this is from Witness. He says, what is really happening is that brother has murdered brother knowing it was his brother. This is an in America. And he doesn't differentiate the North and the South here. He says, white men have lynched Negroes, knowing them to be their sons. And he's speaking literally, um, by the way. So he continues, white women have had Negroes burned, knowing them to be their lovers. It is not a racial problem. It's a problem of whether or not you're willing to look at your life and be responsible for it and then begin to change it. That great Western house I came from, is one house and I am one of the children of that house. Simply, I am the most hated, the most despised child of that house. Excuse me. And it is because the American people are unable to face the fact that I am flesh of their flesh, bone of their bone created by them. My blood, my father's blood is in that soil. And if you like to see Baldwin uh, say those words for himself, the documentary has a clip there. Then we move on to purity. Mm -hmm. So the Negro problem, the problem which they invented in order to safeguard their purity has made them criminals and monsters, Baldwin says, and it is destroying them. 
Uh, there's a quote here that I would like to read. Um, did you, were you familiar with this movie that he references starring Sidney Poitier? Yes. Where he jumps from the train? Yes, you were? yes, yes. So what is the gist of this film? So I never actually <laughs> watched it, but I've seen clips of it. And I, I know that's okay. in his category of work. Um, mm-hmm. This is the two escaped convicts from prison and they're running yeah, off Yeah, so it's somewhere. a black man and a white man chained together. Yep. And the black man is Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. The other guy is Tony Curtis, I believe. Sure. You could have said any name. <laughs> Okay, sorry. He's he's famous. Tony Curtis is so famous, you guys. Okay, Alexis. (laughs) And then what's going on in the movie? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's all about their escape. Truly, their Mm -hmm. escape. So they're on the run together. And they're handcuffed together. They're handcuffed together until they're um, separated. I don't know how. Like I said, I've only Mm -hmm. watched clips of it. And so that's the gist of it from what I understand. And this seems to be a movie that is so far from reality in both its ideas and (laughs) just practical lessons it's trying to teach. It's supposed to make a certain section of the population feel that although they've done terrible things, they're no worse than anyone else and no one hates them. We all love you. Um, So Baldwin's quote here is the root of the black man's hatred is rage. And he does not so much hate white men as simply wants them out of his way. And more than that, out of his children's way. The root of the white man's hatred is terror, a bottomless and nameless terror, which focuses on this dread figure, an entity which lives only in his mind. Uh, So when Baldwin's speaking here, there are clips from the movie we just talked about playing. And it's um, in the end, Sidney Poitier, like, Instead of saving himself, drop, jumps off of a train to save uh, the other convict, which he is Not no longer chained to. To save him, <laughs> but to be with him instead of escaping, you know, to yeah. stay behind yes. instead of running off into safety. He stays behind to still be with this man who's where he can potentially get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the lesson might be, you know, sacrifice your own advancement to appease your oppressor, you know, and just just make make someone feel good, even if you might die. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's purity. Then we move on to selling the Negro. You know um, what? This was. Yeah. I was like, do he, does he mean selling to the Negro mm-hmm. or selling the Negro? So, Help me. So right before this section, he talks about um, the black dollar and how as it's being noticed, um, people are marketing to black people. And now the people that um, got all this hatred. Well, there's money there. Billions of dollars, in fact. And so people might bend their beliefs. Fifteen billion Mm -hmm. people might bend their beliefs in order to create a commercial that appeals to black homeowners and black families. And it's a pretty um, transparent um clownery but anyway yeah 15 15 billion dollars to spend those black people had at the time which i was like that sound like a lot i don't know do we it still is got a, that it is Where a is lot it? but i think it's still <laughs> in that realm today yeah we, we'll definitely see stations who um push a certain rhetoric uh also have ads that appeal exclusively to a population that all the other content seems to either ignore or uh speak disparagingly about because money money talks so yeah so in this section selling the negro um is actually quite literally 
about selling black bodies. Um, and although this, the entire section doesn't talk about that, uh, what Baldwin focuses on is what that free labor has produced in our, in our country. So, um, one of the quotes here is the industry is compelled, given the way it is built, to present to the American people a self-perpetuating fantasy of American life. Their concept of entertainment is difficult to distinguish from the use of narcotics. Um, <laughs> and so when I was reading this book, I was like, yeah, you know, people get really inebriated from television, you know, um, and the American dream is, you know, a falsity. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm -hmm. it's uh, materialism and it's just it, it's not real <laughs> it's just not real mm -hmm. but going back to the documentary uh, this is where it gives you a little more dip on your chip to have this section in a visual format because it shows um, reality TV and how um, bipolar it is oh, and that yeah. you have um, this violence and vitriol and uncontrolled emotion um, for entertainment. And then on the other side, you have what you want people to believe the the clean American life is like. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the hypocrisy style life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK. And then lastly, I am not a nigger. And from this section, I want to read one thing. Um, Baldwin says, if I'm not the nigger here and you invented him, mm. you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. And the future of the country depends on it, whether or not it is able to ask that question. So let's talk about the documentary a bit. Okay. Uh, what scenes, statements or images, Alexis, will you remember most from the film? Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the impression, the images of the men and women women hanging at the end of the movie mm -hmm. I was like well that's how I felt but yes that I, that is there and there's several mm -hmm. scenes images of it that play back to back um and so that will that I'll remember most there's um a point when Medgar Evers is speaking to Baldwin and he's talking about those trees and the bodies that hung from him that he had to walk past every day as mm -hmm. a child in Mississippi. Talk about trauma, yep. <laughs> root traumas. Yeah. Um, I will say for me, Malcolm X's dead body. I don't remember seeing so Ever. vividly and yeah. in so many angles. <laughs> yeah, no. So I won't soon forget that. And then the quote from the Southern woman that I um, spoke to earlier. Well, she's in there uh, giving this quote mm -hmm. and it's just so blind and ignorant. And she believes it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And uh, that I won't forget. Forget either. Um, was there anything you learned for the first time in the documentary that you were like, oh, I didn't know that? Um, I can't say that I did because I, I saw I saw it before when it first came out. So I can't right. say that I um, learned anything in my recent watching of it. Um, but there is a, a a piece, an expression, a sentence, a couple sentences he said that um, that I had to think about. He said, I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. I'm forced to yeah. believe that we can survive whatever mm -hmm. we must survive. So I'm like, OK, that's that's right. I'm a I'm an optimist. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that's I'm an optimist can't help mm -hmm. it I loved that mm -hmm. I love that 
because sometimes it takes all we have just to live from one moment to the next. But to think of that tenacity as optimism, even when you feel like um, something tragic is just around the corner, you are still an optimist because you are still continuing around the corner. That's right. And looking back at the whole of our lives, there may be really terrible things that happen, but there are really amazing things, too. Um, so I thought that the way he puts the way he turns phrases, I thought so poetic. Um, mm-hmm. I never heard it put that way. Like just my existence, the fact that I'm alive, that I choose to be alive because being alive is a choice. Yeah. I can't say I'm not an optimist. Can't say yeah. it. I agree with you. That's something I won't forget. Which moment of the documentary do you think will stick with you the longest? So after we record this episode and, you know, you're drinking wine, eating popcorn. What are you going to be thinking about? And ice cream. And ice cream. (laughs) While I'm here, I got to enjoy it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There are several sections in the movie where Baldwin is speaking and the images that are displayed are current images. And that's like a reality. And they're so fitting. Mm -hmm. Does that make you feel like nothing has changed? Exactly. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed. And in fact, you can say it's gotten worse because to have come so far and to still be in the same place. um, Why? Why does it fit so well? Why does it fit Mm -hmm. so well? He says they really don't think I'm human. (laughs) He said that. and. We have seen that on TV today, right? Mm -hmm. In real life today. The attitude and what it's produced, the violence. Exactly. So, yeah, that is something that that'll that and the images, those things will stick with me for sure. Mm hmm. There's a section when Baldwin is talking about um, the majority of white people he's met have come across black people in an everyday setting. Maybe they have a black maid. Or maybe they went to school with a black person. Um, But once they cross the threshold of the schoolhouse, they choose no longer to associate themselves with black people or black problems. And for me, that really um, embedded in my mind the need to make sure the people that I um, spend my life with are from a diverse pool. Because if I choose personally, um, to only associate with people who look like me and think like me mm-hmm. or are from my culture, then I'm choosing not to see a part of the world. And so it's like um, some people will question, well, are you just going to develop friendships or just take in art from people of other cultures just to do it? Like, that's not oh. right. Just looking for an Asian author because you've never read a book by an Asian author, which isn't true in our case. I'm just using that as an example. Right. Um, but do you remember when we read um, the Persepolis, the complete series? Uh-huh. And we were like, we well, I, I remember saying that I identify this part of the world by their conflicts. Mm. And I have never read work by an Iranian female author. Mm-hmm. You know, that it is so important to purposely put in our lives. And I mean, like in the center of our lives, not just the periphery, um, but the center of our lives, the art that we take in and the people we choose to spend our times with time with. I think it's important for me to make sure that that pool is diverse Um, because I never want to have a blind spot that 
I didn't even notice, but was being filled with hatred when I wasn't looking. And it is or that's bigotry. So, that's so easy to happen today. It's so easy to happen. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful. Because so in that many way. people have so many people this this southern woman said god forgive a lot of things but he don't forgive integration she believed that she did <laughs> i'm not better than her biologically <laughs> so i have to trust that it she is said, my responsibility to to not leave gaps like that she where said i think that all people are mm-hmm. with a straight face Please go with ahead. a straight face with a straight face and an ugly outfit girl and, and she looked like she was hurt Mm-hmm. Her mm-hmm. outfit was hurting me, my <laughs> eyes. So, um, yeah, so it is my responsibility mm-hmm. to have friends of different cultures. And yeah, maybe that means purposely working harder to develop those friendships um, and then taking in art to um, just experiencing different cultures in a real genuine way um, and, and ethnicities and nationalities so that when I'm not looking, I don't form bigotry because there's so much bigotry around us. It's hard. I imagine not to let some of it seep in. Oh, sure. Um, oh, sure. That's easy. Right? You have um, people's everything that's being put at you on the TV. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful. Like, OK, that's. And dog whistles. It's not always so blatant. Yeah. You, you have to pay attention to what people are actually saying, why they're saying it, what's behind mm-hmm. what they're saying. And then you have yeah. to take that out and be like, wait a minute. That doesn't even make mm-hmm. sense. Why would they say that? Hmm. Great point. Now, there was one difference that I noticed in um, the documentary versus the book. Oh, and that's on page 90 of the book. I don't know okay. if this was Samuel L. Jackson's um, own uh, edit, but there is a quote here that I'll read. Baldwin says in the book, this is a formula for a nation's or a kingdom's decline, for no kingdom can maintain itself by force alone. Force does not work the way its advocates think. In fact, it does. It does not, for example, reveal to the victim the strength of the adversary. On the contrary, it reveals the weakness, even the panic of the adversary. And this revelation invests the victim with patience. So that those are Baldwin's words, and that's from the book. But in the documentary, it says passion. Okay. Did you notice that? No. And do you think there's a difference? Passion versus patience? Mm-hmm. I do think there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I'm not sure if that, because Samuel L. Jackson was reading that section. If it um, was a I don't know if error. that was his heart speaking a little or, more. Or, mm-hmm. mm, okay. But I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is I Am Not Your Negro by James Baldwin. Well, That's wow. all I got. Thank you, Kari. Shall we take yeah, a no quick problem. break? Sure. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. And we're back. Alexis, what did you think of I Am Not Your Negro by James Baldwin? And would you recommend this book? I would recommend it. I'll say that flat out because I think it's important. I mean, in the beginning, I'd say who would like to, who do I think to read it? Anybody interested in racial um, relations? But I I think anybody should read, everybody should read this book Um, Mm -hmm. because it's just, I feel like it's heartfelt Mm -hmm. and it's, it's intimate 
and it, it touches on I'm going to say just the reality of our world and it applies mm-hmm. today and I, yeah. I think because it applies today um, if you're reading this and this doesn't um, come to your mind it should affect you and move you to think about the questions that he asked in this book um, mm-hmm. and so that's why I think it's worth reading and I think it's worth um, everybody just it's just a it's a short book and you know I don't say that a lot but it's really <laughs> quick and it's an easy read and it, it makes you think a lot so I would definitely mm-hmm. recommend this book how about you Car- how about how about you, Kari? <laughs> would you recommend this book? What's your final? Yes, I would recommend it and I enjoy reading it. When we read a work, um, our minds are free to digest the information differently and to rework them in our own into our own words so that we understand more what we're reading and that we it can stick with us. When we watch a documentary or any film, um, it's more of a passive activity. Uh, so for that reason, I recommend the book. A lot of the pages are not even completely filled. This is something you can just read in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And even if you are not interested in race relations, yeah. <laughs> even if you're not interested in race relations and no judgment, because we can all only take so much uh, just pain, trauma, adversity. Maybe you're, this isn't for you right now. I still think you'd enjoy this book because it's a great capsule of American history. Um, It is not accusatory. And again, the way James Baldwin speaks, the way he turns phrase and the way he um, formulates his thoughts, I admire because obviously, especially this evening, I'm struggling. I'm exhausted. (laughs) But he is able to, on the spot, uh, he, like he could have been a lawyer <laughs> the sure. way he's able to uh, put an argument together with facts and examples and make it concise and economical. Yeah. I, so I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about one of the on camera interviews that he did with a man that um, was saying something wasn't thoughtful. It was towards the end. Yeah. And the he way said, he came um, back you to have him. more in common with a yeah. uh, um a, a white writer than you do with someone who doesn't believe in literature. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of addressing that, Baldwin just, um, he tore that argument apart without j- addressing it directly. Yeah. And in that way, I feel like too, you leave people their dignity, even if you don't agree with them, you don't have to negate everything that they they're saying to get your point across. Right. And I think he, he does that very well. And that's what I admire. Very, very well. I'm glad you knew exactly mm-hmm. what I was talking about. Yeah, because I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what you mean, though? <laughs> it actually made me think that about was wild. Um, this diversity training um, that I attended. Episode of The Office. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of those office episodes where they um, sit you in the room and you're all talking and the person is talking about diversity and they're like, see who does the same things as you do. You play tennis and so do you. <laughs> you have two yeah. children, they're girls, and you have two children, they're girls. Doesn't that make us similar? And it's all an attempt not to say race, not to say black, not to say white, not to say, 
You, it's everything but the real conversation. That's how. And I why? What does that? What does that type of conversation facilitate? If not a need to gaslight people about their own experiences? Mm-hmm. No, what's happening to you isn't happening to you because. You're black because being black is actually not an important factor. And if you think of things as just being cultures and they're not being a hierarchy within uh, races, which are made up, but um, within ethnicities and nationalities, if you don't think one is better than the other, then can't we all just appreciate the differences within our culture? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe I have um, similar a a similar experience to you because we both play tennis, but our culture, the root of who we are, does not, it's not about tennis. (laughs) It's about our faith Uh and our background, our culture. Exactly. So. Yeah. So what are we reading next week, Kari? Oh, The Marsh King's Daughter by Karen Dion. Mm -hmm. That's That's an Alexis pick. It better be good. (laughs) I'm starting it as soon as we get off this uh, call. (laughs) We shall see. We shall see. (laughs) Until next time, readers. Thanks for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and... Kari Herrera. Support the cause while he went five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment mm-hmm. about why you absolutely love us because we love you too. <laughs> if you've you enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something.